0: Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Mark Rogup about the topic of practicing lament and his new Dark Clouds Deep Mercy devotional journal. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Mark Rogup is the lead pastor of College Park Church in Indianapolis and the author of the ECPA 2020 Christian Book of the Year, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Pastor Mark is also the author of Weep With Me, How Lament Opens a Door for Racial Reconciliation. He's married to Sarah and they have four children and three daughters-in-law. Hey there, Pastor Mark. Thank you so much for joining us for the show. I appreciate you being here today.
1: Christine, it's great to be back on your podcast. It's been a while and great to have another conversation with you.
0: Yes, I'm glad that you mentioned that because we have spoken about the topic of lament before, but for our listeners who are Relatively new to the Hope and Help podcast, that was three years ago. Before I even brought this podcast over to IVCB, and so I want to let the listener know that even though we're going to be talking a lot about lament in this episode, I'm not going to be talking about specifically the Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy book that Mark released. I think it was in 2019. Am I correct,
1: Mark? That is correct.
0: Okay, so we're not going to be talking about that book specifically, but I will link in the show notes to that previous conversation if you're interested in listening. To it, today's conversation is going to be very practical, and we're going to be talking about the Dark Clouds Deep Mercy Devotional Journal, which was released. Earlier this year, I think over the summer, and I can't wait for this conversation because you've really helped to put together a resource that gives us the the practical tools and guidance that we need to learn the language of lament and put it into practice in our daily lives. So before we dive into the resource, would you mind spending a few minutes sharing why you wanted to create this devotional journal?
1: Yeah, it came out of uh, conversations with folks like you and others who uh, discovered the power and the beauty and the grace of lament. And as I wrote Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, the response from readers was, this really just explained the last number of years of my life. I'm so thankful for this uh, new language. And what do I do now? It's sort of like when in a non sort of grief way, you're you're looking to buy a particular car and suddenly you see that car everywhere, like, cause you're now looking for it. Well, once you discover the language of lament, you begin to realize, wow, this has applications everywhere. And so readers asked, what do I do next? How do I unpack this a little bit further? And Dark Cause Deep Mercy only covered four lament psalms. And so the devotional journal was designed to be a practical step to help readers unpack 15 additional laments, to see the breadth of what the Bible covers in terms of this sacred song of sorrow and grief but then also to help people learn how to write their own laments, because that's really where the transformation comes. It's not just in studying lament, but it's internalizing it and making it my own prayer language. And that was the vision for um, the uh, devotional journal. And I really hope it serves you know, readers, people who are wrestling through grief, biblical counselors as an assignment tool, or just someone who's like, I, I'm not ready to read a book. I'd like to take some quick action steps and the dark cause deep mercy devotional journals designed to do that.
0: Yeah, it is such a rich tool, and I'm so thankful that you and Crossway put the time and effort into putting it together, so people like me and, and the people that you described, readers, counselors, pastors, small group leaders, whoever is trying to just, like you said, learn the language of lament, have it become more of a, I don't even have to think about what it sounds like to lament, it just has become ingrained, right, as part of my internal dialogue and conversation with the Lord in the moment of distress. Um, this book will help readers to do that, and so thank thank you. And like I said, I don't want to rehash the conversation we had years ago, but I do think it's important that we spend a few minutes making sure that we're all on the same page with what biblical lament is and what it isn't. So can you briefly describe what lament is and then share the four main elements that are typically found in a prayer of lament? Sure.
1: A simple definition um, that I use is that Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So it's it's a language that grieving people have used in a way to talk to God. And it's a language that the inspired writers of the Psalms used, along with other writers, including Jeremiah and other prophets and even Jesus himself, uh, as a way to talk to God when it feels as if the character of God is incongruent with the circumstances of my life. So it's a prayer in pain. So it's a unique kind of prayer that we offer to God and it's process language. It's designed to lead us to trust. So lament isn't um, a cul-de-sac of sorrows where I rehearse all of my complaints, my frustrations, my anger with God so that I just stay in that place. Although we'll talk in a moment that complaint is an important part of lament. Biblical lament is designed to help us acknowledge the reality of our hurt, the tension that we're dealing, believing in God's sovereignty, and yet my life is really, really hard, and then pushing us towards a recommitment to trust in the Lord, knowing that he's good, but life is still really hard. So a prayer in pain that leads to trust, that's lament. Most laments have four key elements. Now, again, it's it's poetry, it's set to music in the Psalms, so we have to be careful that we don't make it overly linear because it's not simply uh, one, two, three, four, but four key uh, elements, I think, are helpful to think about. So those elements would be the turn, complain, ask, and trust. So In turn, we choose to not allow pain to give God the silent treatment. Way too many Christians think that because they're in pain, they can't talk to God about it. So I'm intentionally turning to God, complain, um, I'm laying out clearly and in stark terms what's wrong, what's the problem, what's the issue that is concerning to my soul. What what's the incongruity between God's sovereignty, His goodness, His character, and the circumstances of my life? So I talk to God about that honestly, candidly, and then ask, turn, complain, ask is where I. Claim the promises of scripture. I know these things are true. I believe them. This is what I see in the Bible. I'm asking God to do things, even though my heart, in the midst of my complaint and my sorrow, is wounded and is nervous even about asking, because to dare to hope again when you're in pain is really scary. It's a huge act of faith and trust. And so I'm claiming the promises. So turn, complain, ask. And then finally, trust. This is the destination of all laments where we are recommitting ourselves to what we believe to be true, even though the circumstances of our life might cause us to momentarily question whether or not those things are true or not. So throughout every lament, there's a but, there's a turn, there's so that, or if then, there's a there's a turning within that Psalm. And, and lament holds two things in tension at the same time. My life is really hard, but I know God is good. And lament wraps that together and says, let's talk to God about that. And let's recommit ourselves to trusting him when life is really painful.
0: I'd love to help our listeners get a sense of what's offered in the devotional journal because you structured the pages in such a way that the readers are guided through four key steps in practicing lament. And you say that these steps are designed to help us, quote, receive the grace of lament. I thought that was a really neat phrase. First, what do you mean by receiving the grace of lament? And then secondly, what are the four steps you guide us through in this resource?
1: Yeah, by receiving the grace, I mean that lament is something that God has given us by design and with particular intentions in mind. You know, one out of every three Psalms are lament-oriented. Like, that's a really big deal. In fact, I'm starting to tell Christians if if one out of every three Psalms is lament-oriented, you ought not be surprised if like one out of every three days, is like really hard. Like It's kind of what it means to be a Christian in a really broken world. So understanding that and kind of normalizing this prayer language and this experience as Christians, I think is a gift, a grace gift from the Lord, because it helps us to reset our understanding of what the successful Christian life is going to be like and what it is. And I also think that these four elements, turn, complain, ask, and trust, they serve like guideposts on the road of life, or maybe think of like a highway and signs that tell us, hey, there's an off-ramp here that you can take during your seasons of sorrow and then get back on whatever sort of normal Christian experience you think is there. But what's gonna happen, you get off the off-ramp and you realize, whoa, this actually isn't an off-ramp. It's just a different road that runs parallel to uh, what it means to be a, a successful follower of Jesus. And the whole thing, is what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in a, in a broken world, and so I find a lot of Christians that didn't know that that path existed. I, mean, I didn't know that, and when I began understanding lament, it was liberating. It helped my soul. It gave me a language to talk to God, and it it provided a, a pathway that was really redemptive, really healing. And that's why I call it a, a grace gift. I think there is a grace available to us when we discover the biblical language of lament.
0: And so there are four steps you guide us through in this resource. And you've outlined, you know, what the four uh, main elements that we typically see in Psalms of Lament are. But then you also, through this journal, have four steps that we go through as we explore the different Psalms that you bring our attention to. So can you explain what those four steps are?
1: Yeah, certainly would love to, to do that. So the journal is designed to try and help people think about lament in a way that isn't just theoretical, but it moves them from what the text says to examining it more closely and then writing their own. And so the first step is to read a section of scripture, a lament psalm in particular, to try and understand what is the tone, what's the heart of what the psalmist is trying to say. And then secondly, to explore um, that particular lament, taking the turn, complain, ask and trust framework, where do we see that in the text? So this is a moment for us actually to do a little bit of inductive Bible study, just making observations like what words and phrases is the psalmist using. So I'm reading through the psalm, I'm looking for and exploring the various elements uh, that are there so that then I can pray my own lament, so I can take that structure and even use words and phrases that come out of the Bible to shape my own lament prayer, such that I could then talk to God through, think of it as writing my own psalm, and then to reflect on what just happened here. I study the Bible, I unpacked a lament, I wrote my own, and what is God by His Spirit doing in my soul right now? And I think that process, repeating that over and over, has actually been part of the healing process for me and for many other people as they've walked through really difficult seasons of sorrow. And the thing about that is that you don't just do that once and you're done. Grief isn't that tame. It's not that predictable. It it needs to be something that we put into practice on a more regular basis and even uh, perhaps in ways that are less traumatic. Most of us come to lament because of some major trauma that's taken place in our life. But. Actually, there's more opportunity to lament about more brokenness than maybe what we even realized before. So I encourage people to even lament the smaller pains in life, to build up that lament muscle so that they're more effective lamenters when things are really, really hard.
0: I like how you pointed out sometimes we might be in a position where it's like one out of every three days. Is, feels like and I even thought like maybe even one out of three prayers sometimes throughout mm-hmm. the day. Um, it is such a gift of God that he would give us a language to be able to communicate with him when we are in duress. But I guess if lament is a grace to be received, it can also become a grace that we refuse as well. As I've learned more about biblical lament since we first spoke, I have noticed sometimes that there can be a hesitancy in receiving the grace of it, as you say. you know, People may say something like, you know, I'm not ready to talk to God about this, or I don't want to intentionally think about what it is I'm struggling with. And perhaps they're just so angry or afraid or overwhelmed by what's going on in their life. They may think they need to wait until they can pull themselves together before they even decide to invite God into the conversation. So why do you think that is, and how do we overcome that kind of apprehension or reluctance?
1: Well, I think it's normal because grief is scary, and it's often easier to deny um, that it's really difficult and painful, and there's a lot of Christians that kind of live in a world where they're not prepared for how do they deal with the sorrows that are running through their souls. You know, in some cases, they end up maybe even wondering if they're actually a Christian because these questions are are nagging at them. Uh, lament is not uh, a formula and as a result, it's a tool that can be used for the different seasons of life that we're entering in. I mean, if you read the the Lament Psalms, like they're all over the place. You know, one one Psalm, uh, I think it's David or Asaph, who says, you know, when I remember God, I moan. And I mean, like, there's a lot of Christians that feel like that, like I'm, I'm praying, but when I think of you, I'm just like, oh. And yet here is inspired text that, helps us to understand, like, it's okay to talk to God like that and to acknowledge that reality. And so I, I think some people may not be ready for lament, and I understand that. I'm not I'm saying that every person has to lament or, you know, when they're not ready, but I, I do think that it provides a language that helps us be ready more quickly than what we might imagine. I think part of the reason why christians aren't ready is they don't know that it's okay to talk to god like that someone who's struggling with lament it might be as simple as just just read aloud psalm 13 and make that your prayer for the day that's it just start with how long O oh lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me and just make the inspired text your prayer i think the one thing if i could encourage people who are grieving to not do is to not consistently give god the silent treatment about their pains Um, Whether it's anchoring their prayer in a particular verse or experimenting or just trying to talk to God about what's going on in their soul. I think the journey and the attempt is worth it. And I think it's part of the healing process. And I think it's going to be a faith step because I think lament is one of the most theologically informed, faith-filled things that Christians do. When they are in pain and they wonder how does this fit with what I believe? They still talk to God. That's a big step. And yeah. I'm uh, I'm hopeful that more people will take it.
0: Well, early in the journal, you introduced the readers to the concept of languishing. And you say that, quote, spiritual growth in seasons of languishing is more about persevering through the struggle for belief than it is about arriving at a settled conclusion you connect the idea of languishing to what the psalmist was wrestling with in Psalm 42. So do you mind talking a bit about that psalm and how this particular lament helps us to practice holding conflicting emotions in tension?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I just found in my journey of lament and in preaching on it and teaching on it is that Christians generally aren't accustomed to two things being true at the same time even though they don't seem to line up very well. In fact, that's what complaint is. Complaint is, God, I I know you're good, but how in the world does this fit? And I think that too many people think that success in grief or in managing their sorrow is bringing those two things to a resolution. And I'm arguing, I actually think success is persevering in the sense of holding them in tension, like being okay that these things don't have to be reconciled. They just are what they are under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. So like David in Psalm 42, you mentioned it, you know, he is saying things like, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh God. So he's like, God, I love you, I want you, I'm hungry for you, my soul thirsts for God. And then he also says my tears have been my food day and night and he remembers in verse four going in procession to the house of god and he then begins to preach to his soul why are you downcast oh my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in god and then he goes right back to my soul Is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. So it's like he keeps bouncing back and forth. God, I love you. This is really hard. Why are you downcast? My soul is downcast, therefore I remember. He says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. By the day, the Lord commands us steadfast that night his song will be with me. And then I say to God, My rock, why have you forgotten me? Why have I gone? Why why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? So, like, when you read Psalm 42, you're like, I know this, this is how I think and talk. If I were to talk to God, this is what it would sound like. Like, God, I know you're good, I know you're good, I know you're good, but what about this, this is so hard, or we're on Sunday mornings and we're singing a song about God's majesty and glory, and then another thought comes in. Yeah, well, what about, what about, and you're, you're battling as you're singing, and I think that real Christianity is persevering through that, not reconciling those as if they don't exist in parallel. I think it's those things are true, And as a result, he ends with, why are you downcast? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I think it's just looking at what success is like in the Christian life a little differently. More about holding things in tension than bringing them to some kind of resolution.
0: Thank you for kind of unpacking that psalm. And of course, in the devotional, uh, the readers can work through that on their own as well. I appreciate, too, the fact that you address the urgency we feel when we're facing the need for deliverance, when there's some problem going on in our lives and we're waiting on the Lord to act according to His promise. Can you explain how practicing lament helps us to, quote, shift from urgent request to urgent worship?
1: Yeah, it's a difference between I have a need and I have a great God. And so I would argue that your great need is great, but sometimes we come to God with an urgent sense of I need relief. And we do need relief. I don't want to minimize that at all. But throughout the Bible, the first step of comfort isn't the resolution of our pain or the answering of our questions, it's a reminder who God is. When our church walked through the Book of Job, I I made this statement that the who question is more satisfying than the why question. So, we're always asking why, 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 but God never answers Job all of the why questions. Instead, He points him to the who question, who is God, what's He like? Because there must be, and there is, something more comforting about the who than the why, and that's what I mean. When, when we're wrestling with why is this happening and what does it all mean? What are the implications? Like, Those are, are real and legitimate questions, but they need to be set in the context of who is God? How do I trust him? What do I know to be true about him? And that serves as a bedrock upon which we can build sort of a, a recovery system for our sorrow and grief that we're experiencing.
0: And we find in the scriptures that lament is not exclusive to personal affliction, but that there are several different types or kinds of lament, and one of those types is a repentance lament. You write, quote, our failures are frequent enough and our brokenness deep enough that penitential laments should be a regular part of our spiritual rhythms. Can you explain what you mean by that statement and why it's important to practice this type of lament regularly?
1: The repentance laments are wonderful reminders of God's kindness and His grace when we have sinned, and we have erred. Too often, though, we read those psalms only in the context of when our sin issues are so clear and evident that we need a psalm to express what repentance looks like, and that's a legitimate use of the repentance-oriented laments. But I think there's another way for us also to use them, which is a reminder of what repentance looks like when we haven't blown it big time. Because part of not blowing it big time is being reminded that I keep blowing it in small time. And the repentance laments bring that front and center that my biggest problem in life is not what other people are doing to me. My real problem is what I'm doing to me and to the Lord and to others, because I don't know what kind of sinner other people's people are, but I know what kind of sinner I am. And so repentance-oriented laments help remind us and kind of even reset our understanding of our own need for continual repentance, continual renewal. So I encourage people, don't just use repentance laments when the like, you know, it's a major blowout. Certainly you can use it then, but use it for a regular reminder of your need to mourn over your more frequent, more respectable, more particular sins that take place every single day.
0: You also help us to practice justice-seeking laments in this journal. And you write that the pain of injustice, quote, involves unjust actions, behaviors, or attitudes of other people. I thought that was helpful that you clarified that. And you say that it's a particular kind of sorrow, quote, born out of oppression or conflict. So can you explain a bit more about these kinds of laments and when they're most helpful to rehearse?
1: So most people don't know what lament is. And if they think of it, they normally think of it as what I do to deal with my sorrow because of some loss. And that's real and important and frequent. And I think lament is helpful in that space. There's another kind of sorrow though that I think also gets missed. And what happened is the more I began to study lament, my own personal journey and loss of a daughter put me into this season. And then I began discovering, wow, this this is a wide field. And I discovered this particular kind of lament, where the psalmist is really grieved by the unjust actions of other people. And I began to think that happens a lot. Like, mm-hmm. wh- what do you what do you say when you feel like you've been backstabbed? What do you do when you're being slandered? What do you do when you know one of the laments says that you know his words were smooth as butter, but war was in his heart? Like we all know what that's like. Like we've either been a part of that, we've either done that or that's been done to us. And when you're in a position where injustice has happened to you, like that's gotta go somewhere. And lament is a way for us to talk to God about what's happened so that we can be kind and loving and be merciful. But I think some people think that being kind and loving to our enemies means that we deny how hard and how unfair and how painful the injustice really was. And when you read the justice-oriented or justice-expressing laments, you get a clear sense, like this is really painful. And I think it's refreshing to be able to acknowledge that that kind of pain, different than the death of a loved one, but that kind of pain is real, it's deep, and it, it needs to be taken to the Lord as well.
0: Yeah, thank you for including that in the journal. I thought that was really helpful, and I appreciated you taking the time to help us to learn about the different types of laments that are available um, for different kinds of pains and different kinds of sorrows. So that's really great. Now, we've got time for a couple more questions, and there's something especially insightful you share at the conclusion of the journal, something I think our listeners will really resonate with. You write, quote, it seems to me that healing from grief isn't a complete absence of feeling sad. Rather, it's the distance between episodes of deep sorrow that enables us to start to see progress. In other words, recovery seems more like hours than days, than weeks, than months, than years between moments of deep grief over a particular loss. Healing looks like a greater amount of time between an avalanche of tears. Why is it important for us to remember this as we practice lament?
1: So, I'm not a grief counselor. I'm a pastor. I've wrestled with my own grief. It's just an observation that I've had as I've worked with a lot of people and as I've journeyed in my own healing process that I think for some people, they make the mistake of thinking that when that avalanche of tears returns because of some moment or memory or thing that sort of triggers like this little bucket in their soul suddenly got opened and they feel like they've gone all the way back to where they started and they believe I must not be making progress because I feel in this moment, just like I felt like day one. And what I try to help people understand is I think that healing from grief doesn't look like those moments never happening again, but it looks like the distance between them gets longer and longer and longer. And sometimes they even happen in unexplained ways. I talk in the devotional journal about a Christmas after our stillborn daughter, and we're putting up a Christmas ornament and it has her name on it. And, you know, just, it was crazy in that moment, like the grief came back like instantly. And it's important to know like what's happening in the moment. It doesn't mean, oh, we've made no progress. No, it means this that, that pain is still there. We know now what to do with it. And that the distance between that kind of moment is getting greater and greater and greater. So, you know, first couple birthdays, first holidays, I mean, all of those moments have big emotions connected to them. And I've found myself having to help grieving people know, "No, no, that's okay. That's normal. You're making progress. Like that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And you'll get there over time. And that success looks like the distance between them getting further and further away
0: grief as you say is not tame and I just really appreciated that you bring this encouragement to us at the close of our conversation because I mean even I had a recent experience of that with the my my father passed away from cancer in 2011 and over the summer we went to visit my brother's children and um, you know my my dad didn't get to see any of these babies and so just seeing my kids with my brother's babies and everyone all together and I just had that all of a sudden that bullying of grief that I hadn't thought about for a really long time in that way but in that moment it became so real again that he's not here for this you know and um just learning the language of lament and knowing that that that's okay for to feel that emotion and to sit in that tension for a minute right not to stuff it down or to cover it up or ignore it but to feel the weight of that and knowing that God is with me in that moment was just a great encouragement. So thank you mm. so much. I want to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do now that we're at the end of our time together, and that is to invite you to speak directly to the audience. So there may be someone listening today who's in the midst of grief or hardship, and they are seeking to receive the grace of lament. What would you say to this listener to encourage them with the hope and help of Jesus Christ?
1: Well, Jesus bought the right to make everything right, and one day we're not gonna lament anymore. I'm sure we're gonna read lots of Psalms in the new heavens and the new earth. We may be singing some songs that we're familiar with, but there's a particular way that we won't talk to God anymore, which we won't lament because the pain will be gone, the tears will be all dried up, and we won't even remember the former pain. It'll be so far away, it'll seem like it never even happened we're not there now. And in the meantime, while we live in the sort of gap world between Jesus is left, he's gonna return, while we live in this world with all kinds of brokenness and all kinds of pain and the devil um, doing his best to discourage Christians at every level, here is a resource, a tool, a gift from God himself, inspired in the Bible, that's meant to put words to what you feel meant to normalize the grief that you're um, walking uh, in, and a tool that's designed, a language to point you toward the Lord so that you can receive the healing and the grace that you need. And so my encouragement to your listeners who are discovering how hard life can be is I would encourage them, discover lament. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it is a language that can be a helpful companion on your journey towards healing as you learn to turn complain, ask, and trust, believing that uh, God is good and life is hard.
0: Thank you so much, Pastor Mark, for sharing those encouragements. I want to let the listener know that in this devotional journal, there is an appendix that gives the reader a list of different psalms of lament. So he makes it real easy for you to go and explore all the different categories and the different psalms that are available. And then there is a Learning to Lament worksheet, also, and then a topic index with Psalms uh, for various struggles. You do not need to have read Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy to utilize this devotional journal. It has been designed to stand alone, although my encouragement would be to for sure at some point, if you're starting with the journal, be sure and get the book as well because it's so rich. And um, of course, you share your own journey through lament in that book as well. So Pastor Market, there's someone listening who wants to get connected with you and the resources that you have available, where can they find you online?
1: So our church website, yourchurch.com, has about 15 years worth of uh, sermon content, including the original sermons that came first before Dark Cause, Deep Mercy, the book, I also have a website, markvrogop.com, and a couple of different social media platforms as well. So those will be a couple of resources for folks to check out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this devotional journal with me today. I've been really blessed by working through it. The listeners will have um, hopefully gleaned some helpful encouragements, and and hopefully they'll be inspired to check out Lament for Themselves and, and give it a practice through getting a copy of this journal. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me on, Christine.
0: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.